hello to today's podcast from Mark and Mark on pharmaceutical contamination monitoring. Today we look at monitoring in toxic product manufacturing. I'm Mark with 25 years of experience in aseptic fill finish equipment and I'm together with... Hello, I'm Mark with 25 years of delivering solutions for contamination monitoring. Um, we had a show here in Germany last week and there was the CPHI. Um, luckily, every two years this happens in Frankfurt and it's a really good show. All the pharmaceutical companies come together. And the question I was asked most was, what do you have to do different for environmental monitoring if you have a toxic production? I think um, probably the step one and the one that's identified in Annex 1, Mark, is that if you are doing handling toxic products, there's a safety element about getting them into and damaging the instrumentation. So one of them is about the containment of the, 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 the nature of the toxic toxicity of whatever we're managing. So you know, that's kind of the, it starts with, are we using negative or positive pressured environments? Yes. Um, before we get there, I think the, the big point is you have to know what you have inside your filling line. Um, so the customer and customer has to make sure that they really specify correctly what they have and how do they handle it in other areas, because this is an open product they use in other places as well. So they have to do a, a thorough risk assessment behind the scenes there outside the uh, filling line. And um, the big problem for the OEM companies is that they get an URS and the URS, someone wrote just to say, to be safe, everything has to be ready for highest level of toxicity. And now they're going through a brainstorming event where they say, well, what do we have to do to make sure that the highest level is reached? And at the end, they don't even need it. And so there is uh, thoughts about filters, there's thoughts about special handling and uh, 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 special design, special uh, uh, hardware design and so on. And it takes the product um, or the production of an isolator filling line into the millions and millions of extra US dollars um, in not needed extra efforts. And this, the one you just said with the negative and the positive pressure isolator has uh, has advantages and has disadvantages. Yeah, so I mean, if we, if we consider then that all things being equal, the biggest risk is still about contamination of the finished product. And the and containment is an is an aspect that we can look at as part of that whole risk assessment. When we're performing the environmental monitoring, there's a risk to damaging expensive instrumentation. And expensive is is kind of um, relative in in some of these instances. One of the ways and one of the most common ways, especially around powder filling, is you turn off monitoring. So you run for 15 or 20 minutes at the start of sampling. You demonstrate that everything is normal. You know, your baseline particle count levels are all within their typical operating range. And then you shut the system down and rely on secondary data to demonstrate 
environmental stability. So your air velocity, your differential pressure, temperature and humidity, um, and then your microbial samples, which obviously you won't have real time, but at least you can still take them. And they then support that the environment during production was under control. And that should all be part of your contamination control strategy, which is, you know, one of the big issues that uh, that's being raised with Annex 1. Once you've got that shut off kind of additional data, turn it on once the product, once the toxic product has finished flowing, turn your system back on, demonstrate that it was able to maintain the baseline. And you've now got two pretty robust data points. The beginning, everything was normal. And the end, everything is normal. And if you think back about, you know, when we started talking about these, you used to go to a filling line once a day at the very start, take a quick sample, and that was it for the day. So now we're sort of like doubling up on that. We're saying that it, everything's okay at the start and everything's okay at the end. So therefore, everything must be okay during the middle bit. And we're going to use supplemental data to, to prove that out. And then regularly, what's recommended is that you do a simulated fill. So either use an, you know, a non-toxic liquid as part of a media run on the facility or even just having the robotic arms or the fill line running without any liquid at all to demonstrate that the operations within the process when product isn't running doesn't contribute to any significant burden of potential contamination. So that's kind of like the classic way powder fillings done and the classic way some of the non so some of the toxic products been done. Yeah. But then there's then there's another thought and that is well based upon the you know the 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 product that I'm manufacturing it's all you know it's, it's it, it's relatively low dosage. It's liquid contained. Uh, the chances of it escaping the fill mechanisms, i.e. through the vessel, through the piping, down the needle, into the bottle or syringe, pre-filled syringe, whatever it might be, and then out. The chances of a micro droplet escaping that environment, floating through the air against first air air shower that's washing all of that dangerous product away and into the rehandling mechanism into the isokinetic probe of the particle counter down the tubing of the particle counter and into it and there it sits for weeks or months or days or however long it might be before an operator opens it up for calibration these are you know very small risks and and it's not that they're not detected because if there is these micro droplets that generate as an issue or a failure of production or failure of manufacturing technique, then they'll show up as a high count because particle counters will count liquid. They'll count vapor. They'll count particles, dust, microbes. It doesn't matter. Right. The matter doesn't matter in this instance. You know, it doesn't the, the, the components, the constituents of whatever it deflects the laser beam within the optical chamber, shows up as a count. Yeah. And so if you do get multiple counts that are out of uh, out of the norm, then that's an indication of what happened, what failed. And that then gives you an elevated state where you can 
remove that particle counter more cautiously, allow it to purge in a in a in an environment, sanitize or sterilize that instrument, or one of our favorites, Mark, as you well know, throw it away. <laughs> you know, if, if there's an element of doubt, a, a typical particle counter, even at the high end that's used for monitoring these is, is a couple of, you know, a couple of thousand euros, a couple of thousand dollars relative to the price of the product or the or the the risk associated with that contamination. This is, you know, the price becomes relative. So they, yeah. they are deemed to be relatively expensive instruments. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, the one or two sample points where product might contact them um, discard annually is um, is not, you know, not 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 an option. You know, it could be part of their CCS. So typically, you know, what we're looking for is changes to the baseline. Now, if you if you blank that out. You do a baseline measurement at the start and a baseline at the end and a simulated baseline to demonstrate that the process doesn't generate any or on high end systems where you're in control of a lot of the process, leave them run. And where the particle counter says there's been a loss of control, there's been a loss of control. And and it would be logical then to go, well, if that contamination has spread as far as the particle counter, where else has that particle contamination event occurred? And therefore, what you do with that lot or that sublot when the contamination event occurred, even if it was product contaminating the chamber, then that's part of your risk assessment. Yeah. So we can summarize. You still use a positive pressure isolator because yeah. for the filling at least because uh, the protection from the um, product against the operator is still key. Then um, we do a thorough risk assessment also on what can happen, what does happen, what uh, do I do when I get data from the particle counter, which is not the norm. Then um, we typically, if we don't see any abnormal things, um, we will remove the particle counter uh, do the infound calibration. Um, then, uh, if the if everything is okay, nothing has to happen. Then you can take that particle count and put it back in. If you see something and there is uh, abnormal numbers in the inbound calibration, then you may have to open it up. So we would recommend then the person takes extra gear, maybe a, a mask, gloves, uh, maybe a gowning, uh, like typical seen in a ISO five area. Um, and then uh, opens it up, sees what's in there. If he has a, ch if the person has a chance to clean it out, uh, clean it out, and uh, to be probably it's all good, depending on your data you have with this uh, product. And in the risk, and you think you cannot clean it out, or you think you have too much contamination, or you want to um, don't take the risk because you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of product and the risk of a that person compared to a thrown away particle counter is too high, then just throw it away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so and th and that should all form part of whatever your contamination control strategy is, because the contamination control is more oriented towards risk of contamination of finished product that could end up in a patient 
weeks, months, years later, mm. and any contamination has an opportunity to propagate into, you know, from one microbe becomes a contaminating event and and more deadly than the initial impact that might have happened at the at the offset of you know overfill or overspray from a bottle yeah so at the end we we don't want to say take it on a easy shoulder here uh you need to know what you're doing you need to know what product is it how dangerous can it be um at the end we all know also water can be dangerous if you stick your head in and you don't remove it anymore um so uh this is you know you need to know your risks exactly all right thank you mark Always a pleasure. If anyone has more questions, you can ask your local salesperson, send us an email at info at pmeasuring.com or visit our knowledge web base on our website with pmeasuring.com.